listening to episode 37, chapter one of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Josh Havens. And I'm Chris Lamberth. And we're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that he would help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. And today we're talking with John Stark about his book, The Possibility of Prayer. As a pastor in Manhattan, John Stark knows the bustle and busyness of our society, but he also knows that prayer is not just for spiritual giants. Prayer, he writes, is for each of us, not because we are full of spiritual wisdom and maturity, but because we are empty. John is the lead pastor at Apostles Church Uptown in New York City. He's also the co-editor of the book One God in Three Persons, and he lives in Manhattan with his wife and four children. We have an unconscious desire for something to be happening. In other words, we hate boredom. In fact, a 2014 study found that almost 50% of people would rather give themselves an electric shock than to be alone with their thoughts for even 15 minutes. We want to be doing something to keep ourselves busy, even if that something is bad for us. In this first chapter of our conversation with John, he unpacks the ways prayer, silence, and solitude work together as an antidote to our busy lives. It's in stillness and prayer that our real selves and our problems rise to the surface, giving us the opportunity to let God transform us. All right, John, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for letting me be here. Really excited to talk with you today about your book, The Possibility of Prayer. Um, I've really, really enjoyed this book. This is a, uh, you know, it it feels like it's rare to come across books like this on, on prayer uh, you're a young guy and this is a new book, but man, I feel like this is already such a great classic because you're covering su- such a, uh, an integral topic to the Christian life, um, with a very fresh, but deep way. And so I've really enjoyed the experience. So I, I think the best place for us to dive into our conversation today, though, is asking, why did you write the book, this book on prayer, the possibility of prayer? Um, well, I, <clears throat> I do think it's probably uh, a book that's an an expression of um, my local church ministry. So just as a a pastor, I think I have some giftings for teaching and leading and preaching and, but probably the most fruitful area of my ministry is just being able to walk with people and teach them how to pray. So just sort of an ordinary ministry of, of prayer with people. But I think one of the reasons why, um, I felt compelled to to put material together is hearing the regular regular struggle of prayer just fe- feels impossible, whether it's time or whether it's hurry. But when I would push beyond just time, because we make time for things. Everyone who who I would talk with, whether it's <clears throat> someone who's a vice president at a pretty um, intense working environment, um, to um, a mom who has three young children, they all made time for things that they wanted. Um, so getting beyond just time, you, I, I would find that people struggled with when I'm sitting still with God, everything that I've stuffed down in my busyness comes out and plays. Mm-hmm. So all the monsters of anxiety and fear and shame and guilt, what do I do in the presence of God? when all of those things come out. 
Um, so I, you know, just as a pastor wanting to, to guide people through, not just someone who has an unhurried life, but someone who can sit in stillness with God and enjoy his presence rather than um, struggle with shame, struggle with fear. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's a great answer. And there's, you bring up a whole lot of things that we are facing in our modern society more than we've ever faced before in our world just because of you know the busyness and and just the the state of where we're at with technology and and everything and, and in fact you're pastor in one of the busiest noisiest cities in in the world and so you can really hear that come out so i guess the question is is then if prayer in, in this idea of stillness is such an important one why what what in what way is stillness the antidote for our our, our hurriedness how does that actually speak to that portion of our life. Yeah. I mean, I think just to even get back to that original answer, um, stillness is the only time when a lot of the things that maybe, uh, control us under the surface. So we may not be facing our shame. Um, but if we stuff, stuff it down and covered up with a hurriedness, it's still there yeah. and it's still controlling us in a, you know, subconscious way. Uh, it's controlling our motivations. It's controlling our words um, in, in ways that we're not even aware of. And so what stillness does, the scary thing is it allows all those monsters to come out and begin hollering at us. Um, but it's also, they, they come out in the presence of Christ. And um, so without still, stillness, there's a lack of the ability to experience the healing that, that Christ has by his presence. And so, um, Dallas Willard, and I'm not going to be able to, to get the quote right, but he, he says the, the beginning of all spiritual disciplines, whether it's prayer or fasting or whatever, is just being still in solitude with, with the Lord. That's the beginning place. And solitude is, is one of the most terrifying things for people. I mean, even walking through the grocery store without music is sort of like, just make something happen, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so we, we long for the noise. We long for uh, busyness. We long just to, to get doing something because if we're not doing something, we feel like something's wrong. Mm. Um, and oftentimes it, because there is something wrong and Jesus does uh, have the ability to address that. Yeah. You know, in our relationships with, I mean, with just our friends, Chris and I've had these times. So I mean, my wife and I've had these times too, where uh, if, if there's something going on between you or, or let's say I've got something inside me personally that I, I've just been kind of, like you've said, stuffing down inside. Uh, I find that that stuff eventually comes out. I may not deal with it directly with Chris or, with, or directly with my wife, but it comes out in either passive aggressive comments, passive aggressive behavior, uh, or maybe overtly aggressive behavior. Um, and I, I find that I do those same things with God occasionally too, where I'll be dealing with something inside and rather than taking it to him, I keep trying to, to use the busyness of life to, to cover those things and just keep moving, especially like as a minister. I mean, you've got so many opportunities to say, well, I've, I've got to do this next thing for, for my ministry. I have to do this next thing to uh, make sure that I'm serving the people that I'm serving really well. And taking care of that thing that we've stuffed down inside uh, is, is something that we 
neglect just because we think we're doing so many other good things as well. And so I think what you're saying is so necessary for us to recognize because we have to we have to find a way to deal with those things that we are stuffing down deep inside ourselves, maybe even subconsciously. Um, and it's it's got it's going to come out one way or the other. So yeah. So then the question becomes, I guess, how how do we cultivate this life of of stillness? I think there's a misconception out there that we have to become still in order to go to God in prayer. Or, you know, because, you know, you, you try to, it's like, okay, if I manage to wake up in the morning and, and sit down and read my Bible and pray, and, and you talk about this in the book, right? You're instantly bombarded by everything. So how do we go about cultivating a life of stillness or, or to cultivate that life of stillness? Because it's not that we have to be still first to go to God in prayer, right? It's that we have to go to God in prayer to get to become still. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> my my big desire um, is for people to even just to sense that that's possible. So mm-hmm. obviously the, the title, The Possibility of Prayer, um, that prayer, that stillness is not for the spiritual elites or the professional Christians. Um, it's, it's for every ordinary artist, VP, you know, baker, mother, father, it's, it's for the ordinary Christian. And the, the, the means for us to be able to do that is comes from God's provisions, not by our expertise or abilities. So his provisions outweigh our weaknesses every time. And so just there's some ways of just grasping that reality, which is just basically the first half of the book is helping us grasp that prayer not only is it wonderful and we understand the nature of it but it's just it's just possible god uh went through heaven and earth to to make prayer and communion and a relationship with him possible so it's it's possible but the way in which i think we nurture that our end is um you know just one basic way and i, I know this is sort of like a backdoor way um what i have found is if we practice sabbath so just a, a normal day where we take 24 hours off of work, um, where we don't, we follow the, not just the wise pattern where it's like, well, I can, I can get most of my work done in six days and then rest. So I'll be more energized for the next week. I'll get more work done, but no, we're following a, a divine pattern of rest where God created the world in six days and then he rested, not because he was tired from making the sun, and not because he's, you know, concerned that, oh man, next week's going to be busy. And so I got to rest for that, but just out of delight. Mm-hmm. Um, and when God calls us to rest in Exodus, he says, follow my example. And, you know, we're, we're doing something more than just resting because we're tired. We're, we're, we're resting out of delight. We're resting out of enjoyment. We're resting out of the confession of faith that God holds the universe together without us. Yeah. Um, and so in some ways, if we can stir a sort of um, a Sabbath heart by, by practicing that, that rest, that normal, ordinary, weekly rest, then those small moments of rest, like a 15 to 30 or 45 minute hour long time in the Lord uh, daily becomes sort of that Sabbath moment where I can, okay, that, this makes sense. God is going to continue to work in this world apart from me. 
I'm here to delight. This is a gift to receive. Um, not earning this moment with God in the way that I'm not earning my place in the universe. So Sabbath teaches us that I'm, every day is a gift and I can enjoy this day of rest as a gift as, as well. I say in the book, um, the Sabbath is, is uh, the theological justification to have the best day of the year once a week. <laughs> that's, that's good. An amazing, that's an amazing thing to have. And um, in some ways, owning that day helps us understand those small, still moments. So it's sort of a backdoor way of, 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 of owning a, a still heart in some ways that teaches us that way. So it's a little bit easier if you're always working, always rushing. Um, and always having to be efficient. All my use of time has to be seen through the grind of efficiency. Prayer will never seem efficient. Mm. It's, it's all, it will always seem like a waste of time because you, you just don't get much done you know, in prayer. The Psalms talk about prayer as waiting and listening and meditating, and those are just not very efficient words. They're yeah. time wasters. Um, yeah. and, and so in some ways, we're, we're having to even rethink time as Christians. That's what really the Sabbath does. It helps us to rethink time. Which is tough to do in a Western context where we're so oriented around the minutes and seconds of every day and everything being so precise in what we do and when we do it. Yeah. So we're already jumping all over the place, which is great. So I, I, I love it. So let me, let's, let's talk about resting a little bit more. Cause, um, you know, I grew up with this mentality of, uh, you know, you know, it was like the Sabbath. So, or, you know, which we did on Sundays, right? I think most <laughs> Protestant Christians will celebrate that on a, on a Sunday. And so there were certain things that we were allowed to do and not allowed to do because it was quote the Sabbath. And so I, I, I remember thinking like, like mowing the grass wasn't one of them. So oh, I always yeah. had to have the grass mowed on Saturday because Sunday was the Sabbath. We were, we were supposed to rest. And then I sort of learned a little bit more and I'm like, well, wait a second, that's not a legalistic thing but it does beg the question because we struggle with this so what does a day of rest look like what should we be do, doing i got to use the word with our time if we're not supposed to be doing all the other busyness things that we're doing yeah well i think in some ways there's a there's like a a perspective here we we can have all kinds of theological justifications for why we never rest mm. um, we're free from the law we're free from the sabbath laws and at the same time, um, when we begin to think about um, just our, uh, not just our, our uh, relationship to the Ten Commandments, but our relationship as image bearers to God, um, just following this, this pattern of, of divine work and divine rest. So God worked like crazy for six days. I mean, he created the universe, I don't know, however many... Um, uh, universes are, <laughs> are out there, <laughs> yeah. and um, and then he rested, and so in in some way, each week uh, there's this pattern of stopping and setting down this efficiency, productivity, that thing that sort of that that drives us. If I don't get this done, well, then I'm I'm not being useful. It's a day where you're not being useful. Um, and, and you're receiving as, as a gift. So, I mean, for, for us, it's a day where I do a ton of reading or we go to museums. Um, it's really cold here now, but when it's not, we take lawn chairs and pick up a bagel and go to the park and, um, 
and uh, I, I take another day off on Sunday. Um, Sunday's not a very easy yeah. day for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a day to, to receive. We're, you know, we, we try to buy more food and drink than we can contain and share it with friends. And, um, you know, we, yeah, it's, it's just a, a day to, to delight rather than create and make. And, uh, it's a day to enjoy rather than try to create something for other people to consume. Um, so does that make sense? It yeah. does. It does. And I think it's really important to note what you're saying about delight because so often, uh, when we, when we work and we do things, we get this understanding that we are the most important beings in, in our universes, um, that we're the ones that are required to, to keep the world spinning, whether it's something small, like in our family or in our jobs or whatever. Uh, we, we tend to get that idea that, that we're the ones responsible for making sure that everything's working and running. And if, if that somehow doesn't happen, we're inferior, we're less than, or, uh, like we talked about with uh, Shundron Thomas a few episodes ago, we feel like maybe if we have to if we have to take a, a day off from work or a week off from work, that somehow our identity is in uh, danger because somebody else might do our job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, when we and that's, that's a big fight here because in a lot of industries um, here in the city, if you have a job, you got 70 people waiting to take your job. Yeah. Behind you. And so if you're, if you're taking a day off regularly, there's a threat there. Yeah, absolutely. And so it, it, it becomes, it becomes almost a resistance, um, against the, the grind, uh, yeah, which yeah. is hard. It is, but at this, it is at the same time though, are you not by, by giving into that paradigm saying in a sense, God, I don't trust you enough to, keep my income and my provisions secure, uh, while I take a day off. Uh, and that, that's a tough thing to, to say and, and come to realize. And yeah. that's why I like delight so much as a, as a descriptor of what we do on the Sabbath day, because it, it takes us out of our own, uh, world where we <laughs> rule and control everything and puts us into the position of gratitude and humility where we just get to enjoy being, who God's created us to be. Well, it becomes where um, Sabbath is not a law that you're creating restrictions, but a way to create freedoms. Yeah. Because, you know, if you find yourself always working, that means you're always working because you're tied to your work, you're enslaved to your work. And so it may feel like, oh, you're just being legalistic and you're telling me not to do these things and I'm free from the law. But it's like, well, the reason why you you can't stop is because you're enslaved. And so... Mm -hmm. I think in some ways, when, um, when we begin to practice Sabbath, it's helpful to have other wise people in your life um, speaking into, it's like, hey, maybe it's not wise to do that. It looks like it just sort of creates more of a grind. Um, and, uh, or may- maybe you just feel like you should have the freedom to do some things. And my father is an artist, and so he doesn't work on one of those days, my wife is not an artist, but she's also creative. And so she does a lot of art on our, our day off. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, one is trying to make a living and is dependent upon it. That's, that's his grind. And the other one is that's her joy. Yeah. And um, so it, it takes wisdom and, and how to create that day of delight and freedom. You're, you're trying to create a Sabbath heart, not just a, a certain kind of day. 
Yeah, that's a great way to put it because there's not because what I'm taking from this is there's not one way to enjoy the Sabbath that for each of us it's going to look different. And um, th- th- also, I mean, one of the things that we would encourage people to do and, and what we want to try to help people do is to find a job that that people love and enjoy. So hopefully even that sort of nine to five or whatever your job looks like for the other six days is something that you genuinely enjoy doing but even so even if you enjoy that you need to step back and and take a break from that so that you still don't become enslaved to it so i think that's a great point i find in my own life that when i avoid prayer it's typically because i feel so good about myself that i think i don't need to do it or i feel so bad about myself that i feel ashamed to do it in both situations i'm avoiding a problem i'm covering up myself rather than uncovering those problems before God, who already knows I have them anyway. Prayer, especially when coupled with silence and solitude, is a way of bringing myself back into alignment with reality. When I pray, I begin to see myself for who I am. And, more importantly, I begin to see God for who He is. When this happens, I begin to find rest. I begin to find freedom from a desire to always be doing something, anything, even if it's bad for me. So I want to challenge you today to do something that may seem tough or even uncomfortable at first. Spend 15 minutes in complete silence. No phone, no reading, no writing, no TV, no music. Let yourself be quiet and alone with your thoughts. And lean into the discomfort and let your problems come to the surface. Don't ignore them or push them away. Then, after the 15 minutes are up, take five more minutes and pray about what you just experienced. Ask God to shape and transform you as you give the last 15 minutes over to Him. How can you create a lifestyle of discipleship? Most Christians think discipleship is a program or a few practices thrown in at the beginning or end of the day. But we want to help you create a lifestyle where walking with Jesus throughout the day is not only possible, but natural. And we have a tool that's going to help you do just that. It's called the Daily Growth Journal. It's a guided journal that's going to help you become secure in your identity with God and authentically walk with Him in your daily life. Growing daily in your walk with Christ is possible if you cultivate a lifestyle of discipleship. And the Daily Growth Journal will help you do just that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. To find out more about John's work, check out his book, The Possibility of Prayer. Then check out the next chapter in our conversation, where John talks about the value of prayer for everyday rhythms. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Spotify.